when I, you just reminded me of something. That, when I was in Episcopal Church Seminary, we had, we had chapel right after, I mean, we had homiletics class, preaching skills right after chapel. And I, I was up for practice sermon, uh, and we had extra, they had, they used to make homemade loaves of bread for communion, and we had some left over, and one of my classmates sat in the class while I'm supposed to be acting like I'm really preaching, you know, so I'm learning how, and what he said, he's, yeah, he was shoving this bread in his mouth, and, he, and did it emphatically in order to make me lose it, you know? <laughs> A twinkle in his eye. So you looked up at me with that plate in your hand and you grinned and I just, that whole scene came back. <laughs> I won't say any more about it. <laughs> I, but I will get you back. <laughs> this is mine. Regardless of what saith the Lord. That's the Christian spirit. <laughs> that's, that's the Orthodox spirit. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there's, I like, there's some Eastern Rite prayers I like to say as I'm preparing for Sunday. And one of them was about, one of them was this morning, it was something about my. It, the, the essence of it was my sins will prove that I show up at the wedding in the, without a wedding garment. So uh, that's a pretty hard one to take, uh, but it's pretty true, especially when you look in here. I'm going to start again with the same prayer I used last year because I love this prayer. It's, it's in the priest's prayers at the altar. I don't know that you ever get to hear it, but it sums up all of the faith and all of what we're about. Let's pray. O God, who in creating human nature has wonderfully dignified it and still more wonderfully reformed it, grant that we may become partakers of his divine nature, who deigned to partake of our human nature, thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, throughout all ages of ages. Amen. Well, I was going to start with one story, but I'm actually going to tell two. One is an explanation. It's not really a story. This has happened today in the looking at the gospel, the story of the, of the Good Samaritan. Because it really struck me, you know, the priest and the Levites were acolytes of the Second Temple period, and the priests were the, the priests of the, first, of the Second Temple period. Uh, and they get a bad rap in that story. Uh, the priest was doing what the law said. If he had stopped and helped the man who was beaten, he would have been considered defiled and unclean, and he would not have been able to serve the temple as God had ordered him and designated him as a priest. The same was true for the Levite. Now, there was the rabbis had come up with a series of, of cleansings and purifications that could be done behind the scenes in the temple in order to alleviate situations like this, but that's not even mentioned. The fact of the matter is they get a bad rap. They were doing what they understood the law said, and what Jesus was doing was appealing to something greater. There's more to this truth than that, much more. Now, having said that, I want to tell you the story I want to tell you. And I, I got this story, it happened 
some years ago, but I, I got online and it seems that this story's happened several times, so I don't know where it came first. And, and I'm not necessarily telling you exactly as it happened. I'm sort of paraphrasing the story, but you'll get the point. That is that there was a Christian university, uh, Protestant Christian university, where freshman students were required to take religion course. It was an easy A, so everybody didn't mind. Two semesters of it. And they had to show up. That was the only requirement, just show up. And whoever ran the classes would have speakers come and, and talk about various and sundry things related to the Christian faith. And the students had had enough of that, and they were bored to death. And one day, the professor decided to have uh, an Orthodox priest come and talk about Eastern Orthodoxy. Well, of course, most of these kids had never even heard of Eastern Orthodoxy. They didn't clue as what it was. Uh, so anyway, as he's sitting up, the priest is sitting up on the stage or the, up around the, wherever the teacher was teaching. Uh, the students are there, obviously. They can't take their, tele their cell phones in a class, so they weren't working on their phones, but they're bored to death. You can imagine what the scene looked like, especially if you're a teacher. You've probably seen it before. So, so he stands up. His class is totally distracted, and he says, the Bible is not the Word of God. I guarantee you had their full attention right there. Uh, so he proceeded then to say, the word of God is a person, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. And the Bible is the book that introduces us to him. Well, I tell that story because one of the things about Orthodox spirituality is we, and I've mentioned this in the past in other classes and I'm reiterating it because it's such a critical point. We can totally misunderstand the faith. Totally misunderstand. We can be here and do everything right and totally misunderstand. Miss something greater. Just like the students. Just like the Pharisee, the, 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 the priest and the Levite. And the essence of orthodoxy is for us to begin to see with the eyes of God. And so we, you know, you mentioned seeing we, in the sermon. We, we, we want to see. Help me to see. And it's not see it just the sight, but it's the whole being. Our, whole, our entire beings are transformed where they experience and understand and, and perceive and see. So it's sight beyond anything we've ever imagined. And that's what we're coming to, and we have to get it straight or we miss the show, just like the, the priest and the Levite, where we're doing the right things and we miss the whole show and the whole program. So I'm going to be talking about orthodox answers to questions asked by the non-orthodox. And it might be better to say that we who think we're orthodox but really think like non-orthodox. Uh, so I, I, what I'm going to do today is I'm, I'm going to address some issues, and I'll tell you what they are in a few minutes. But what I want to do today is just sort of give you an introduction to this because we have to think differently. And, and, and I've said this so many times, forgive me for repeating myself, but uh, in so many ways. But we want to see reality from God's perspective as he sees it. And we have been given the ability to do that, but we have to do it his way. So we're going to look, talk about, in all these lessons, seeing things as he sees it. 
and as we should see it, it's going to, and it's, for many of us, it's going to change our perspective immensely. Some of us have our acts together, and we've got it together. I'm not one of them. I'm one that has to constantly learn. That's why I just learned about the Pharisees and the Levites this morning. Uh, in any case, remember that repentance, repentance, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, means to turn the body around. So the implication is that God is there, and I'm like this, with my back turned to him. Now, try to speculate on who he is, or what's in that icon, if I'm not facing him. And repentance means to turn around, and face, and see. And there's so much to see because the iconographer is required to write what he sees as he turns around and faces God and what God wants him to see and understand. Not what he thinks is right when his back is turned. And in Greek, the word for repentance is metania. It means to have a change of mind. So it means to be able to think different. Really need both those words together. Shuv, turn around, metania, have a change of mind. Two go together because it's both of those. We can still face the, the icon and still not get it because we're trying to make it up. And we don't want to do that. Notice that Jesus' first words in St. Matthew's Gospel and also in St. Mark's are these. In Matthew's Gospel, this, these specific words. His first words after his baptism. So his ministry begins. Repent, turn around, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Whoa, that's frightening. What, what, what? You turn around and see, and the whole vista of God begins to open to us. The world out there does not understand this because it doesn't see from the perspective of the icon, from God's perspective. It sees from the perspective of the back turned to him. The whole world has turned its back on God. And this is getting worse as we go along, as you all know, in time. I have a, a little a word from Father Zacharias to give you on that subject matter farther down the road. Uh, so you've read Enlargement of the Heart. You probably can find it. Uh, in any case, the world does, sees it wrong. And we are influenced by the world. And how many of us go home and turn on the TV? and let the world tell us what reality is and what values are. Have you ever, have you ever assessed the Christianity of characters on TV shows, especially priests? They usually don't know their faith. The people are smarter than they do. They don't know anything. They don't know what it means to be Christian, and that's sort of the point. And yet, Hollywood has the audacity to try to tell us what real religion is. And so we join the world out there. We come into the church with the same effect as the world, seeing God with our eyes, with our backs turned to him, not thinking as he, as he thinks, seeing as he sees. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. They're my ways, your ways. Turn around see reality. And the irony is that when we see that, we see ourselves. <laughs> we realize what a mess we are. 
we become, we realize that we are unclean and we need the cleansing of the temple that's been offered to us. So we come into the church with the same effect. So don't think of it as the world out there has got it all wrong and we've got it right. That's the first wrong or the second wrong step. So we don't have to understand what we do have to understand, but we don't have to understand in terms of mastering it. We're going to turn around and look. I mean, there are all kinds of things in this icon that, that, that I mean, I've sort of, sort of read about it. And I don't get, every once in a while, I look at one of these icons that, or I read something, and I go, oh, I didn't know that was there before. Like, for example, it's not three-dimensional. That's the point. We step out the, outside the dimensions of the created order, which are three-dimensional. And we step into eternity, which has no bearing on, or it doesn't, it isn't influenced by dimensions. It transcends dimensions. The icons need to do that. They're windows. They open up to us that reality. So it's flat. So we don't have to understand immediately. We just have to open ourselves to the fact that there's going to be much we don't understand and that we have to turn around and see. We do have to learn to accept what has been perceived as truth as truth. This is a tenet of the spiritual life. When we come to orthodoxy, we're going to hear all kinds of things that we're going to go, oh, I don't know. I don't know about this. I think I told you when I, because I studied Judaism, I knew that the mass was based upon the earliest uh, uh, Passover meal accounts, the liturgies of Judaism and the Passover accounts. So when I heard that the Orthodox Church used leavened bread instead of unleavened bread in its Eucharist, I thought, aha, I've got them. Then I started looking. I decided to do a biblical study to prove the Orthodox Church wrong. And guess what? In all the Eucharistic accounts in the New Testament, the word for leavened bread is used, not the Greek word for unleavened bread, regardless of the origin of the Last Supper. That's even in the Last Supper accounts. And here's the church holding on to this the way it's always been and understood. Wow. I had to change my thoughts. So now I trust the church more than I, own. I do my own logic and my own study. And I realize, too, a lot of the scholars whom I'd studied over the years were outside the church looking from the perspective of their backs turned on God without them even realizing it. So the question has to be posed for each of us many times in terms of accepting what is uh, this because many of us want to, we want to, we, we have a hard time accepting that which doesn't make logical sense to us. So, well, none of this is going to make logical sense to us. So, we have to ask ourselves do I subject all investigation to my personal sense of logic, or do I accept what millions before me have discovered? Which, by the way, in orthodoxy is always the same. That's one of the wonderful things about coming into Orthodox Church. You, you, you learn the principles of the faith and you find out that St. Ambrose believed the same thing and did the same things. And so did the saints of the second century and the saints of the first century. Uh, on and on. Can anybody else ask, say that? No. Because when our backs are turned, we each have different opinions. The answer, acceptance, is an aspect of orthodox faith, of turning around. Sometimes it takes years for us to see this, to get the answers. 
So expect that. We're outside time. Lots. That, that's the joy of it, as we were just talking about. We just we, we go into this thing, and there's no end to it. <clears throat> it's not like we arrive, you know, off. I just get this down and that down. I go through the catechism. I will have arrived. <laughs> we just opened the door. We've just started. We've just begun. And it's all right to ask questions. That doesn't mean we don't believe. We're trying, to, we're trying to open ourselves to understand so that we can open ourselves more. I love this story Father Zacharias tells of, of, a, of a nun who was in a, an Orthodox monastery. She kept asking her elder uh, questions. And he jokingly called her sister many questions. One day he realized that because she'd asked so many questions, she'd come to know a whole lot about the faith. And he started jokingly calling her sister many answers. <laughs> so it's okay to question in order to, in order to be drawn more deeply in as a part of repentance. It's okay. Now, if we're questioning because we're challenging and we want to make it fit our logic, then forget that. That doesn't work. So, some of the subjects, and here's, here's one of the aspects of this. Some of the subjects I want to address are these. And you'll say, what has this got to do with spirituality? Well, it has, the whole, it has to do with the way we come into the church and we begin to be transformed by it to this turning around logic. First one is, what on earth, this is what people ask us, what on earth is the Orthodox Church? What on earth is it? This part of the country, people don't even know who we are. It's getting better, a little bit better, but not much. Now, if you're in the Northeast or Midwest or out on the West Coast, they know who we are, because we're all over the place out there. But then that's delving into church, into the history of the Orthodox Church in North America. We came in through the east, the northeast, spread across the Midwest. We came in through Alaska and down the west coast. So we're in those areas. We're not in the Midwest or in the middle part of the United States. Diocese of Wichita, mid-America, stretches from the Rockies to the Mississippi, from the Gulf of Mexico to the Canadian border. Uh, and nobody knows who we are. <laughs> so, so what on earth is the Orthodox Church? What is tradition? Oh boy, that's a big one. You don't think it is until you get into it. Why we have a different Bible? I didn't know we had a different Bible. We have a longer one. Guess what? It's the one that church has always used. I'll come back to that. Another one will be is what the Orthodox believe biblical? We don't even ask that question. Doesn't mean we don't believe in the Bible, as you'll see. And right after that, we're going to deal with Mariology from a biblical perspective. So that's the irony of it, is what the Orthodox Church believes biblical. We don't even answer, ask that question. And is Mariology, or Mariology is biblical. That is what I'm going to show you is that there's no, ex there's no excuse for rejecting the Marian doctrine of the church because most of it's based upon what was revealed in Scripture. So there's an inconsistency that goes on there. What about icons and images? What about them? I thought the Bible said, remember the Ten Commandments? 
and also don't make any graven images. What about worship on Sundays? How do we get that? See how. Why fixed liturgy? I don't know why. I don't know why anyone would think there's something wrong with fixed liturgy, repetitious prayers. I find them life-saving. I'm not one of those people. That's why I keep using the same prayers here, because I'm not one of those people who can sit here and pray spontaneously. I, 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 my mind bounces around. You won't like it, I guarantee you. <laughs> You'll wonder, what is he talking about? And I probably won't even know. So I prefer the church's prayers, because they speak for me, and they say what I need to say and what I want to say and what I'm incapable of saying. Thank God for that. And that's what repetition is. Why do we sing everything? Guess what? Even the Jewish sources preserve that answer. I love it. I absolutely love it. In the process of trying to change the biblical text in order to refute Christian claims, they actually put the notation of music in there in order to preserve the right musical notation. Interesting. And lastly, uh, you're going to love this one. Why make confession to priests? I can confess to God. Now, again, you will probably say, well, all of these things have nothing to do with spirituality, but all of them are aspects of the faith, and all the aspects of the faith are integrated. So you're going to come upon these things, we're going to come upon these things constantly, and we're going to have to get it straight. This is part of the whole picture. There's a holistic picture. It's not, you know, it's not just a few things that are involved. Everything is involved. Everything becomes transformed because our distortion in sin has affected every aspect of our beings and all of creation around us. And we can only start to change by working on ourselves from within. And it blossoms because God is at work. So we'll look at some of the questions to these issues. And if you have other questions, by all means, I urge you to ask them. Uh, will provide simple answers, at least something to get us started on the journey, that will also enable us to deal with the questions when people ask us those things, why do you do this? Uh, just remember some basic points in every aspect of this life in Christ. We have left the world and its errant thinking. We've left the world. I think it's great that we come to church on Sunday we, we walk our dogs and we talk, even going to church this morning, we were talking about it. We remember a time when, when you got up on Sunday, the streets were filled with people dressed in their Sunday finest going to church. Now you don't see anybody leaving. If anything, they're out exercising, worshiping the, the, the great spa, whatever it is, I don't know, the human body. Uh, like the ancient Greeks, maybe. Um, in any case, this world is totally different. So we have left the world in its errant thinking. And when we come here, we're making a statement. We're really making a statement, not just to the world out there, but to us. I've left that. I've come here to see that face, to see those icons, to see Christ, to do this thing that he said to do. I've come here to do that so that I may encounter God. And when we do, we begin to participate in actual reality. See, we, we, we basically claim that we understand and see something 
which is real, that is greater and transcends that which we see in our, in our human nature, in our senses. So as a whole, we'll begin to perceive and comprehend differently. And it's a lesson to be learned that we seek this out, to see with God's eyes, to see from his perspective. <laughs> you, you get it. But this is a fundamental rule of Orthodox spirituality. We need to learn. I'm, I'm a big one on the fundamentals. We need to learn the fundamentals well and do them well. If we don't do that, we don't get anywhere. And thinking this is, is, is part of it. Remember what I said long ago, attitudes and actions. Attitude is the way we perceive reality and understand it. And it affects what we do. And what we do affects what we think. In any case, questions, because that's just touching the surface of something. And don't say, don't preface a question by saying this may be a stupid question. Mm -hmm. I've told you what my philosophy is on that. The only dumb question is the one we're afraid to ask. Remember, sister, many questions. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> Remember, sister, many questions. <laughs> The only thing I can, circumstance I can think of that meets that is a certain member of the family who asked me a question, and he always says, I want to ask you a question. And from what I've learned about him, what that means is I want to, I want to throw something out there and not ask a question. So I don't usually debate him. If I feel like he's actually going to ask me a question, then I will answer it uh, and try to answer it. But there's no point in entering the debate. And, we're going to have a lot of people ask questions. Sometimes they, they don't want to know. They, they really do want to know, but superficially so. That's why one of the reasons we have some basic answers that we can give them. Throw them out there and let them float. See, we have to let, we expect God, God gives us free will and he gives us the choice to choose for him. That's why he says repent. He doesn't make us repent. He says turn around. And we have to obey it. In, in, in Judaism of the first century A.D., Whenever you have something in the Bible that's just a statement like repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or it's considered, based on its source, to be a commandment. And so repent for the kingdom of hand, is at hand could be considered a, a commandment from God. That's the way many of the apostles would have seen it. Um, so in any case, uh, he says this, and we're to turn around, uh, and we, 
we, we expect to be treated that way, and we should treat everyone else that way. So when someone asks a question, sometimes all we can do, we can't convince, don't try to convince. We don't have to try to convince. Orthodoxy will speak for itself. And, you know, one of my other stories was of a couple who came and, and he was ready to leave the church of his upbringing and she was not. Um, and she just said, I won't have anything to do with it. And he came and he talked to me and I just said, look, you know, you guys are a, a couple, you're a team, you have to come as a team. So if you can't come because she's not ready, then that's fine. And he was really grateful to be given permission to do that because he loved his wife and he didn't want to destroy his marriage. Well, as it turned out, something about that touched her. So she started coming. And she became more orthodox than he ever was. <laughs> she was dragging him to church. She was dragging him to church, yeah. Yeah. So, yes. You know, before, sorry, before we get to another question, <coughs> our culture on this question that she's asking, our culture more than ever, more than ever, is its ethos is conflict. And so I try to recognize very quickly that there are people who are asking questions because they want to know, and other people are asking questions because they want to prove you wrong. And to discern between the two is incredibly important, and to let the Holy Spirit give you wisdom. It's very important in those moments. Look at the icons. Every icon, the ears are twice as big as the mouth. And when I encounter someone who is voicing things and I notice their heart really isn't open I shut up because they need to get poison out I let them get it out and in my heart honestly I'm praying for them while they're getting the poison out I may say nothing and if the Lord gives me a little something I only give the little something because he's the one that works on the heart of mankind not us we need to be sensitive to that. You see what I'm saying? So when it comes, discern the spirit of the person coming to you. Let the Lord help you with that. And know when to speak, and most importantly, know when to do this. Because God's at work even when we do this. Mm -hmm. so. Anyway. Yes, ma'am. This doesn't really have to do with... Uh, to the sermon and I thought it was very good. There were points that I'd never heard before uh, what I heard today. So but I was thinking you know we see people on the street all the time um, asking for money asking for food uh, and how do we know how do we know when to be a good Samaritan or when they're just trying to you know uh we might give you two different answers here, but so maybe both of us should answer this. But what, what I would what I would do is this: I worked as a layman in an inner city parish, and I've I've seen and heard all the, the the line people that do this who use the system have stereotypical lines that they use, I mean claims, and they also know how to push our buttons, our guilt buttons. 
uh, and I don't want to be manipulated that way. And I learned working in inner city parish that there's, you, you're not helping anybody by doing that. So anyway, what I've learned to do over the years is, is, is it's one thing we've discussed lately, is I've learned to say no and just not do it and squelch my sense of, you know, you, you bad boy, you, you didn't help them. Um, so so you, you covered your mouth up. <laughs> I've learned to squelch it. Oh, I, I, sorry, it was timely. <laughs> Um, I've learned to say no to myself and no, and just not pay attention, but we've discussed recently that sometimes maybe because you never know when you might be wrong, that's a chance we take. St. Clement of Alexandria said, let your alms sweat in your hands before you give them out. Um, and I've always held that to be pretty useful. So one of the things we've just got lately is maybe finding a charity that we like. And every time we see somebody on the street and we don't feel right about giving to that particular individual, giving to the charity. Um, that's a good way to do it. That way we're still ob abiding by what Christ is suggesting. Or going and serving with the charity who yes. is feeding the needy. Yeah. Organized charity and being a part of that. You know, the only thing I can, I can say about when we're out and about and people come up to us, you know, my, my youth leader, when I was in youth group, after church, when our church existed on Canal Street in New Orleans, so we, we had people crossing, you know, uh, homeless or needy or whatever, constantly coming up, and my youth leader would put it to the test with them because he would either say, now, again, ladies, you're not going to be taking men to go do this, but follow me in the spirit of it. He would look at him and say, let's go get a bite to eat. Or I'll come, I'll get you a bite to eat. You stay here, I'll bring it to you. And they would either refuse, walk on, because they that's not, in other words, it, it tested the true intent. And that's, that's the only thing I can think of when we're out and about. But to me, one of the best ways is to engage in official charities that are designed and they have the wisdom on truly how to help the individual and we can take part in that's probably one of the best routes. Years ago when I worked in this church, hang on, when I worked in this church there was a lady who came and she gave us this long story about she they were moving to Texas and her husband came first he was going to get a job in a house and, and get them set up and he, um, while she was driving with their child to Wichita Falls, uh, he was killed in a car accident or something. I don't know. Anyway, he was hurt. And um, so she got there, arrived to find he was dead. So she came, this is the story she told the church. So she came to church and she, she asked for help of any kind. And so someone offered to her a job running the nursery and with a payment uh, to go with it. And she took it and she did, did a good job in her defense. But she also, um, she, she had this appearance. She was very small and very, she looked, she really looked distressed. Her physical features fit the description of distress one would think she had to be in. Well, this went on for several months, and boy, I'll tell you, just something about the story just rubbed me wrong. But anyway, one day, I was, I knew she was at the office getting her check, and I was going between the buildings, and I looked down the street, and there was a guy standing down there looking around the corner up toward the office of the church. And I recognized that his last name, I knew him, and I recognized his last name was the same as hers. 
So I went back to the other building and I got on the phone and called the office and said, ask her what her, uh, ask her, uh, what her husband's first name was. Uh, and it turned out she, this whole thing had been a ruse and he was alive and he was using her to get money so he wouldn't have to work. Uh, and she was playing the game. So, yeah, yeah. And then later on, some organization that does do this kind of stuff in Wichita Falls came and, and one of the examples the lady who gave who was speaking to us wanting us to support their ministry was this family. So they had experienced it as well. So I, I think, I think, I don't want to get you in trouble with the Lord, but... I think, <laughs> on the other hand, you can just say, blame Rooney. God will probably say, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Duly noted. Yes, sir. Is there, like, what you and Father Mark would say, Father Jay, like, whether we should hold our speak, like, it's not so much that it's the world I encompass with questions. It's those who are already orthodox, but more so the stream of Eastern Orthodox. And we share the same verbiage, but they were also, there, they also ask, but why Western? Why not? It doesn't, it's not compatible with Eastern Orthodox that stuff. Is there a pat answer in that reply, or do we ever talk about it? You know what I mean, sir? If I'm trying to make sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, is this the time to go into that? <laughs> While he's praying deeply about it. <laughs> I don't know if we ever talk I'm be, about I'm it. Let me tell, no, no, no. It's a great question because, you know, here's, here's an interesting thing. When I came to Fort Worth from New Orleans, I'd been Eastern Rite for seven years. There was no Western Rite churches. So when I came here and got involved in the diocese and the activities, quite frankly, they didn't know what to do with me. You know, here's a Western Rite guy with seven years of living the, the rhythm of the Eastern Rite. And so I will tell you it's no different than I was saying about people who want to discerning who wants to ask questions because they want to tell us we're wrong and who wants to ask questions because they really want to know us and know these things. <clears throat> discern that. Discern that. Because they need sometimes to get poisoned. They need to kind of be undone along the way to be redone in their thinking. And we need to give space and patience with that and it be okay. I remember at the end of, it was a Sacred Music Institute, one of their regional events, and it was held at Saints Constantine and Helen. Our Bishop John oversaw it, and it was East meets West. On Friday, it was all Western chant and understanding the, the Western chant. On, on Saturday, it was all Eastern. And Bishop John would field questions after every section. section and you could hear who was asking questions because they wanted to know and those who were saying we really shouldn't exist, you know. But what, I, what was encouraging to me is at the end of that, my son Jesse, who was there for the conference, he's surrounded by all his camp friends, teenagers. And, and I just went over to tell him, you, you hang out as long as you want, we'll go when you want. As I got closer, I realized they are just flooding him with questions about the Western Rite. So he grabs me and pulls me into <laughs> mosh pit. And so here are these teenagers, but here's the difference. I was beautiful. I, I just was floored with joy. Because the nature of their questions 
was really wanting to know us and to know what God's doing in the Western Rite and through the Western Rite. And sometimes it takes generations. But see, what I recognized is that generation has never not known orthodoxy without a Western Rite. Mm -hmm. So sometimes time and generations, you know? Yeah, quite, I've seen, I've been in orthodoxy now for about 30 years and I've seen a lot change. When we first came in, Western Rite faced a lot of issues that it doesn't face now. So, and that's one of them. I'm glad you pointed that out. The whole generation's been brought up with hearing at least about us, if not actually seeing. So, that's good. But there are there are some. You can't convince if the people are venomous. They're they're not going to take anything, even convincing. Uh, I have a lot of historical answers to give to that question, but uh, yes, sir. But hang on. I have a lot of historical answers I could give you, but even someone who's venomous is not going to care about what history says. <clears throat> you keep hitting a strong point, and it's the word convince. We fall into the trap sometimes of thinking that it is up to us to convince, but it isn't. Yeah. As we can discern, as somebody has a genuine question, we can give them a genuine answer, but we're still not convincing even those who have the honest question of what yeah. Giving them the honest answer, and then letting them go and have the changing of their mind and the turning around. And certainly for those that are hostile, <clears throat> sometimes it's best not you know, do not throw the pearls before the swine. Yeah. Sometimes it's best not to give the answer because not only are they not going to hear it, sometimes they'll take it and turn it around yeah. and try to turn. Well, let's see. We can't. We can't really. We can't really grasp necessarily how people receive what we say. So we may feel like really good about the answer we gave, <laughs> and it might have been received in a wrong way. So a heart that's a heart that's not open. Truth is not going to become truth. It could actually become, it could actually push them further away from them if their heart is not ready to receive it. It's just it's so true because it's yeah. the same verbiage. Exactly. Absolutely. It's the same, but it's like. Yeah. See, that's the point. We, 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 I'm going to get to you. Uh, we, we use this language and we do these things. Uh, and it looks like the same thing. That's why we can come into orthodoxy and think, oh, I mean, I was an Anglican, so I know what seven sacraments are. But I want to tell you, the Orthodox Church understands them differently. Uh, and I've had to be retooled in order to understand it the Orthodox way, not the Anglican way. So uh, all these issues, and that's why I bring up some of these issues, because they're the things I've seen and experienced. Uh, and it begins to change. And so we have to, we have to be changed uh, in any case. Go ahead. So I was, uh, I'm curious. I love your direction on this because kind of what I was taught about this just growing up in 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 the vein of convincing people and pros before swine and all that was that um, re revelation carries responsibility. Meaning, if you give somebody information they're not ready to have, they now have it and are responsible to do something with it, and they might not be ready to do that. The kind of like, uh, you know, the knowledge, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Getting information before it was time. It, 
Is that a good way to think about? You know, that's actually a very ancient monastic way of thinking about it. Like, I think it was either Saint Sophroni or Father Zacharias in one of the recent books said said sometimes we we need not. He was talking. I think it must have been Saint Sophroni talking about spiritual direction, and he said you need sometimes you need not give a definitive answer to a person's question, or, or because once you've given a definitive answer, then that person is obligated to obey it, or if he doesn't, it's as if he's disobeying God. And so you really get him in spiritual trouble. I think it was Saint, his Father Zacharias speaking of St. Sophronius, and St. Sophronius' practice was then to say, when he wanted to do that, say, my opinion is, that way they're off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's a very orthodox way of seeing things. We also have in Scripture the, the admonition that anyone who would teach bears such a great responsibility. Giving an answer, we are in that moment, and in a way, a teacher taking on. Yeah. Yeah, we've been, a great treasure has been entrusted to all of us. And, so remember, by the way, next week, as we start wrapping up, uh, next week we'll break from this as St. Sophia's will meet, the men will go to lunch, we'll be back and get into our rhythm of what he's introducing today and start rolling with it. Okay, so just remember that schedule. Sin. Oh. You, you know, there's. Remember, don't be afraid of sin, and I'm not saying in, I'm not encouraging it. Don't be afraid. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't say that. Oh, I, or as my friend used to say, is the mic on? <laughs> it's out there. Don't be afraid of sin. And I'm not using this as an excuse. But we've been given repentance, not just to turn around, but to offer to God the things that we do wrong. And what we find, again, the more we walk into this, the more we'll see, I just do it all wrong. That's a part of orthodoxy. The saints of the church will tell you that they're the worst sinners. We're going, huh? Are you and I talking about the same person here? Uh, but they see themselves that way. And that's a part of the ethos of becoming Orthodox, is being to see ourselves as we really are. Uh, and we've got a lot of problems, all of us. A lot of issues, and we're trying to deal with it. But coming to grips with that, so, so you're going to find out, you're going to have, what do I do? I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. Well, no, we're not damned if we confess. I like his response to, you know, we've given them too much that they weren't ready for. Yeah. I have a ton of people who weren't ready for. Well, I think Paul and Mark's right. Sometimes you just have to be quiet. Sometimes our words are like our alms. It's for St. Clement of Alexandria. Let your alms sweat in your hands. <laughs> Let your words sweat in your hands. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway. Next time, next time we meet, we'll look at what on earth is the Orthodox Church. Thank you.